Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Friday, July 29th, 2022. I'm John Buckhorts, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Associate editor and author of The Rise of the New Puritans, Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Christine Rosen is out, and joining us in her stead is Washington Commentary columnist, founding editor of The Free Beacon, AEI scholar, and author of The Right... The Hundred Year War for American Conservatism. Matthew Continetti. Hi, Matt. Hello, John. So Abe and I are the only people here who don't have uh, books out that you should buy. So we're very we we hate you. Just to just to make that clear, we hate both. What of are you people. doing here, podcasting? You got to hit hit the yeah yeah. Typewriter. Don't start. Don't start. Don't start. <laughs> when, when's your next book coming out? That is the question that all writers just love. You know, John, so much. it takes a long time for books to form. They have to marinate. You have to research. You have to really contemplate the. The, the big questions of ex- existence so you have plenty of time oh thank you so much uh you know who uh you know who seems apparently to have all the time in the world uh will obviously win a second term and possibly be be named uh you know president for life uh not that his life will necessarily be that long is 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 joseph robinette biden jr um uh solely as a result of the fact that uh this um, uh, bill uh, emerged from the brains of uh, Joe Manchin and Chuck Schumer, the uh, bill that both spends hundreds of billions of dollars of government resources on climate change and also somehow will mysteriously reduce inflation and the deficit. Um, Because this thing uh, came out uh, uh, two days ago, uh, Biden's back. He's not only back, he's better than ever. He's not only better than ever, but um, his entire presidency has now taken just an unbelievably positive term. Um, somehow, someway, Joe Biden is back in the game, writes uh, Politico uh, this morning in a piece called Biden Enters the Always Be Closing Phase of His First Term. Suddenly, overnight, real progress has been teed up for the White House. Can the president deliver? After enduring a brutal year dominated by economic angst, legislative setbacks, and sinking approval ratings, the president is suddenly on the verge of a turnaround that the White House believes could salvage his summer and alter the trajectory of his presidency. Wow. What also happened yesterday? Anybody remember? Was it yesterday or the day? Anybody remember what happened yesterday? Hard to remember. GDP number. GDP number, two consecutive quarters of negative economic growth. What happened on, on Wednesday, aside from this announcement? Anybody remember that? The Fed raised interest rates by 75 basis points. Um, now we got a new indicator today <clears throat> from yes. the Bureau of uh, Economic Analysis. Incomes rose in June by 0.6%. Spending grew by 1.1%. So you're spending uh, more spending, because things cost more money, but you're not inflation. spending enough to keep up with what things cost. Right. So we have an inflate. We have a terrible. And you're also putting off long-term purchases, durable goods and non-durable goods. But you're spending more on services. Right. So uh, we have a bad inflation indicator. We have uh, an indicator that the Fed is heading almost relentlessly toward kind of putting us in a recession i mean like or or deepening the recession in order to kill the uh stagflation 
and uh, we have what's what, what was the uh, what was the third thing? I can't even remember now. Um, oh, you know the reset the 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 uh, fears of a recession that have been caused by the fact that we are in a recession, but we're not allowed to say we're in a recession for the first time in 60 years when we have two consecutive quarters of negative economic growth. Don't say it's a recession. Nuh-uh-uh. No one ever said that was how we call, that's how we call recessions. No. Five guys in a room, they decide a year later whether we were in a recession or not. Don't say it. Um, this is a great set of circumstances that Joe Biden, you know, is now, his presidency is now going to, gonna gonna turn around so let's talk about this boosterism for a minute matt this is a really interesting turn in kind of like the washington uh conventional wisdom uh, which is as democrats face a, a, a set of issues on which they are in arguably worse shape than they've been since the late 1970s we are being told that don't think that the November midterms are going to be that bad for Democrats. They're not. Ooh, bad candidate selection in the Senate. And, you know, the generic ballot isn't exact, isn't really terrible for them. They're only tied or down a little. Uh, so, uh, ooh, is you know, and the Herschel Walker has multiple personalities and Dr. Oz is from New Jersey instead of from Pennsylvania. And the fact that he's uh, up against a guy who just had a massive, some pretty serious stroke, uh, he's still, you know, the polling is showing him down all of that. Okay, so I don't know. Are they high on their own supply? Are they boostering with, while knowing that things are not going that well, but they don't, they want to be sort of like Dick Morris, who said in 2012 that he literally consciously lied about Mitt Romney winning the election because he didn't want to disappoint his fans. Or what? Well, but Biden has so few fans, it's hard to know. Well, the um, Democrats, who, the say, media, or, the, or to, the liberals in general, right. they're just trying not to disappoint. Uh, the I, I think this speaks to why Americans don't trust and don't like the media, to be honest, because it is completely divorced from reality. And it's the DC media in particular is so tied up in questions of process. Remember, for the last what year and a half now, they have been obsessed with build back better agenda and mansion and the psychodrama where is mansion what is he today and this week they have this surprise announcement from mansion that he's reached a deal with schumer and the media's like ah now everything has changed everything is uh, going biden's way what they don't realize is one the deal is not a sure thing kirsten cinema is still silent um there are tax increases in this deal that she has long said she would oppose. Um, the Democrats in the House who are um, uh, always saying that they oppose um, maintaining the SALT cap, that is the cap on deductions for state and local taxes, they are a little bit more open uh, to, to back backing this deal, but you never know. So the deal is not done. And uh, two, even if the deal is passed, remember infrastructure? Wasn't that going to change Biden's political fortunes? No one talks about it. Biden doesn't even talk about it anymore. These spending bills don't actually uh, have you know outputs in terms of the change in uh, Biden's approval rating. And it, you know, as you were going on, John, I, it struck me. I think Biden is the first Democrat 
to have two consecutive quarters of economic contraction since Carter. Well, I mean, no, that, that's no amazing. No one mentioned that yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. That's my theory as to why we're not allowed to call it a recession. And we're parsing the definition because for 40 years, we haven't had to. It's all happened under Republicans' watch. Absolutely. It shows you how partisan the media has become, which is why people just don't uh, listen to them. Um, what's funny to me about this, let's say the deal goes through. Let's say it's some sort of success. Biden was nowhere near it. Biden had nothing to do with it. He was sick. I mean, he, sh- he should get sick and, and, and stay away more often if, if, if that signals a turnaround in his fortune. By the way, his, his disappearing and being in hiding during the campaign is certainly what helped him. So, if, so it may have helped him again. Well, Matt, what, what are what are you mentioned that this is not a, a short thing? And I don't think so either. And the sticking point is something Abe mentioned yesterday, which is this carried interest loophole, so-called carried interest loophole. That Manchin says is a must have, won't support it otherwise, because it's mostly used by the investment class and private equity. Um, and Cinema says she's against it, but haven't heard much of anything from her. I mean, is this enough to scuttle the deal? Everybody's like, that's ah, only $14 billion in revenue over 10 years. Get rid of the provision. Why not? But as we saw, saw yesterday, little silly provisions that can be scrubbed easily uh, end up becoming big political sticking points. In um, I'm referencing this veterans bill that was tanked by Republican opposition over a very silly procedural maneuver that didn't have to happen, but people wanted to make a political point over it. Thing, you know, big deals like this get scuttled over little details all the time. Okay, and let me let me just interrupt here because our friend David Bonson, I'm going to talk to you a little later about his book. There's no free lunch. Sent an email uh, in response to our podcast yesterday about the carried interest provision. He noted, "How weird is it? This is supposedly like a war on hedge funds, right? Or a war on." you know, uh, uh, private equity. Uh, and Blackstone and Apollo, two gigantic funds, uh, both um, had banner days yesterday in the market. Blackstone up 3.5% uh, on the stock market and Apollo up 3%. Uh, the news was that these guys were going to get hammered with tax increases. Why on earth would the market respond to this news by, you know, by going crazy for, for the, for these stocks? Well, here's what David says. Uh, The hold period to get the carried interest benefit is, has been moved from three years to five years in this bill, which is to say uh, you have to hold in order to get carried interest you have to buy a stock and hold it for three years before you sell it. And in this bill, it moves to five years before you can sell it. But according to David, who runs himself, runs a, runs a hedge fund, the average hold for a private equity investment remains over five years. Ergo, this doesn't do anything. There is no tax increase on average. This is an illusion. This is an illusory tax increase to fool Democrats and to give them a talking point where they can say that they are raising taxes on the rich. Um, Hedge funds have less than a three-year average hold. So you would think, okay, sorry, good luck. You know, you're, you're in big trouble, hedge funds, except hedge funds were already taken out 
by the 2017 Trump bill, David says. So private equity generally has more than a five-year hold. This does nothing. So two things, one of which is that this obviously, I think, if people sort of get a whiff of this, uh, will mean if you could like, have a conversation in private in a quiet back room and say, listen, you can vote for it because it's actually not, doesn't do anything. So if you're worried that it's going to have a bad effect, don't worry. It's not going to have any effect. And then you can also go out and say we're raising taxes on the rich. It's perfect. We're not raising taxes on the rich, but we can say that we're raising taxes on the rich. But can they have that cynical and, you know, that cynical and nihilistic conversation more cynical than responding to inflation and recession with a climate change bill (laughs) well and and if you make that argument it opens uh you up to the criticism that the the non-inflationary measures in the bill are just uh gimmicks and so it is going to be more inflationary because it's just going to be the spending and you're not going to raise as much in taxes as you want my favorite part of this no one is going to make this argument in public. That's my right. point, because you will then, of course, blow up the whole purpose of it, which is to give you a talking point that will actually have no macroeconomic effect. Well, I think the real the purpose of all of this is Joe Manchin getting uh, a pipeline built through West Virginia, because apparently this, yes. is the, this was the key to the deal, was uh, some other measure that would allow pipeline construction through Joe Manchin's home state. And the price of that apparently is this boondoggle, which is not going to be anti-inflationary. I mean, the this, what you just said, John, um, uh, suggests that the revenues uh, um, that come from this bill will not match the projections. And so much is riding on, we haven't talked about, the ridiculous handout to the IRS, you know, the doubling of the size of the IRS, which, uh, you know, I don't know why every Republican wouldn't run against that alone um, in, in November, uh, and, and, but that's not going to result in in the um, tax gains that they that they imagine either. Which means this will just be another. Matt, are you attacking bill. the CBO score? How dare you attack? Uh, well, I'm actually score. I'm attacking Larry Summers too, who is the other <laughs> reason why we have this deal. And Larry, apparently, Larry was very important in convincing Manchin. Oh, don't worry that you can do this, and you won't add inflation. And then on Twitter, Larry Summers was like, "Well, they're underestimating." The revenue gain from doubling the size of the IRS. Jason Furman says the same thing in in the Wall Street Journal today, and of course the problem is that there is no way to get you. It's preposterous to game this out. What do you do here? You say, well, if you double the number of auditors, you theoretically double the amount of money that the auditors get back from auditing. But it's the that's stupidest not, reasoning. That is not. That is. That assumes that everybody, you know, that assumes that this is sort of a static fact. Yeah. And also, you just have twice as you... many auditors who need something to do rather than argue right. with the world's hire... best accountants. It's, like a, it's a lawyer employment bill. I mean, right. the way to get more tax revenue is to close the loopholes. They're not closing the loopholes. So they're making more loopholes. And then they're saying, oh, we're going to hire more auditors at the IRS. I mean, that's insane. So I, I, uh, there are every reason to to oppose this bill. And I have to say that that's why I think you see so many Republicans angry at the Senate leadership um, for, for kind of um, getting the, getting the GOP uh, conference into a position where, you know, they voted for this chips act just the other day on the, on say, the just see, we should remind people right. the chips act is this basic industrial policy right. to support with 
federal dollars the uh, creation or the or the boosting of a domestic superconductor industry. Right. And then a lot on R&D. And it's a big spending bill. Right. And you can say and I happen to believe that it's justified on national security grounds. Uh, but Republicans let it go through the Senate on the assumption that the Build Back Better agenda, or as it's called now, ludicrously, the Inflation Reduction Act, would not happen. But as soon as they pass it, <laughs> that's when Manchin and Schumer announce this agreement. So the Senate Republicans are furious because now the Democrats are going to eat their cake and have it too. But I mean, so Politico can write whatever it wants and it can rave um, about this. What in this would make the, the public perception suddenly swing in Biden's favor? Um What's here that 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 the average American is going to go gaga over at this moment? Uh, the only thing m- money for electric cars. Well, I it's mean, base, it's base service. It's now yeah. he can tell his left that he's doing something about climate change. That's the whole purpose politically for Biden here. Right. The great fear among Democrats or like, you know, p- politically people who deal with the mechanics of electoral politics the great fear is a massive enthusiasm gap, which always closes, by the way, in a presidential year, because then you really have a binary and you, you know, is it Trump or Biden or something like that? And in 2020, you know, we 66% of the electorate voted in 2020, even though I, I doubt that enormous numbers of people were wildly enthusiastic about Biden. But in midterms, the enthusiasm gap is a very, very real factor. People who sort of grok that their vote has a uh, a multiplier effect in terms of expressing a feeling about the nature of the country you know in the middle of a of a president's term and the people who want to complain and the people who want to say that things are bad therefore have a much larger vested interest in turning out to the polls than people who don't have that strong feeling Democrats are desperate to get the enthusiasm number up. It's one of the reasons why they are excited by the thought that maybe Trump would declare before the November midterms to scare the Democrats who turned out for Biden to go out in the midterms to say, oh, the Republicans are bad. And then there's this, which is, yeah, if you can say, look, we're raising taxes on 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 hedge funds and, uh, you know, we're 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 going to tackle climate change and the most important bill in the history of the planet Earth and, you know, he's back and Biden is, look, this is all now happening. You, you were worried about Biden, but who boy, you know, Democrats are on the march. Maybe they can up that enthusiasm number, which I think the last I heard was there was like a 15 point gap in the Republicans favor. I mean, maybe it's closed further. I'm not I'm not sure. But in other words, like when you get these generic ballots and it says that the Democrats and the Republicans are tied, Harriet makes this point very plainly and so do others. You're saying to people, if you were to vote today, how would you vote? But you're, you, you don't have any gauge of whether these people would vote today or in November because the turnout in midterms, when it's really, really good, and it was you know the best turnout in midterms ever in 2018, is still wildly dwarfed by turnout in the, in the general. And so the poll, the generic poll doesn't measure who's going to drag themselves over over broken glass to vote 
And so Democrats have to do anything and everything to get that number. That would be the claim. It's, it's not one thing. It's a kind of general sense. Now, you could then look at this and say, this is like building a sandcastle to protect you against a tsunami. Because what, as, as we just said, inflation is now eroding American purchasing power, you know, it's like eroding American purchasing power. We have had two consecutive quarters of economic growth, passing a bill, having this, doing that, showing, you know, Trump, blah, 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 is nothing compared to the real world experience that Democrats and Republicans are having. And they're just not going to be happy in November. They're not going to be, you know, Democrats are unlikely to be in a kind of angry enough or defiant enough or positive enough about democratic chances to make the i mean no, it's just, just take abortion we have a washington post poll about abortion right now asking if you know your certainty to vote how likely are you to vote in november elections for the u.s house or u.s senate or governor's seats democrats are enthusiastic to the tune of 62 percent republicans 74 percent on the issue of abortion people who say abortion should be illegal are enthusiastic uh, or who say abortion should be legal. That's all it says, legal. Uh, 55% enthusiastic to vote, say abortion should be illegal, 66%. It's a total dud. Wow. Right, so right there you have the gap, right? What was that first number? 12%? Republicans, 74%. Democrats, 62%, a 12% gap. And an 11% gap on the issue of abortion. So... What you could say, to be fair to the sort of like cold-eyed Democrats who are thinking about this is, you get a little bit from abortion, you get a little bit from guns, you get a little bit from uh, hating Trump, you get a little bit from, you know, uh, thinking that Biden is being mistreated, you get a little bit from Democrats are taxing the rich, and you get bits and pieces and you assemble a jigsaw puzzle of enthusiasm that is you know, equivalent or basically equivalent to the Republican sort of overwhelming Republican urge to go at Democrats and Democratic politicians with a machete. But you have no, I mean, this is obvious, but then you have no good story to tell, which is, you know, what everyone, which is what people used to, you know, talk about, you you wanting to, wanting to sell, uh, you know, in the run up to an election. The only story about 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 the Democrats now as a cohe- as a whole story is bad. So let's go back to the last two midterms, 2010, uh, excuse me, two of the last three midterms, 2010 and 2014, the last two when Democrats were, you know, had, had the presidency. So one data point that 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 helps Democrats is that at this point, if you look at the real clear politics you know, uh, archive, and you look at where that generic ballot, will you vote for a Democrat or Republican in November, was at this point in the last week of July, Republicans were up about five points. One or two outlier polls had 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 uh, had Democrats tied or a little ahead, but like seven or eight had them around five. In 2014, they were Democrats were basically up one or two. So this is more like 2014. So in 2010, of course, Republicans win 63 seats in the House. 
in 2014, Republicans win 16 seats in the House, in part because there wasn't that much more to win because they had won the 63 and held on to them in 2012, and they won nine seats in the Senate. So Democrats have to hope. I mean, I don't know. What is the Democratic twenty four? Yeah, the 2014 president doesn't give Democrats much hope. And look, the generic ballot has always undercounted Republican. Right. But by the support. way, here's the hope. The hope I don't is, think Republicans yeah. talk to pollsters anymore. I really don't. Right. I mean, right. so I, I think all of these polls need to be taken with a slight grain of salt. Right. Well, but in 2014, had, there's no question that the polling was bad. Like, yeah. it, and this was a, there was an and industry in 2016 panic. and right. in 2020. So it, right. it's like yeah. hard to know. I, you know, what I think the Democratic hope right now is that. Uh, Republicans in the Senate have fielded some terrible candidates. It's ironic too, because right. the Democrats often supported the, <laughs> the candidates that they're now going to turn around and say are a clear th- threat to democracy. But it's going to be difficult for the Republicans to make the counter attack to say what I just said, which is, you know, you hypocrites, how dare you? You know, yeah. um, so the Democratic hope is that uh, the, the candidates in Georgia the Republican candidates in Georgia, Pennsylvania, Arizona, and I, I doubt it, but maybe even Ohio just flop, right? And so somehow the Democrats are able to eke on to the 50-50 Senate or a 50-51, uh, uh, 51-50 Senate. But I don't, I don't see that, John. I mean, we're still in a, July. Most people are not paying attention. Um, the, the, most of these polls are still registered voter screens. So they're not even getting to, are you likely to vote in November? And even with the registered voter screens or even the all adult screen, which is you don't even have to be registered to uh, to vote to answer these polls. Biden's approval rating is terrible. It's, it's just terrible. And and Republicans are doing pretty well in the generic ballot. So I, I don't see there's much hope for the for the Democrats um, in November. The D.C. media is just totally inside its own cocoon. And it just... All it is is, oh, BBB, he'll finally get, he's racking up wins. He's always, he's always be closing. What happens in the city has very little relation to the national politics uh, in general. I mean, you also have, I mean, the, when, when Republicans won nine seats in 2014 with a tied generic ballot at the end of July, they did have much better candidates. On the other hand, nobody, expected a nine-seat Senate victory. Nobody. And, I mean, you know, even the most confident Republicans expected no such thing. And we have the case that everybody's focusing on how terrible a candidate Herschel Walker is, for example. And he is, and he is running essentially 10 points behind Brian Kemp, who was winning by five and Walker is losing by five. So, you know, Kemp is running for governor. He's up five. Walker's running for Senate, he's down five. So basically there's a, you know, a minus 10 effect Walker as a candidate and not the generic, right? So he's a terrible candidate. Maybe he'll leak it out. We don't know, but he's a bad candidate. And then we have Dr. Oz in, in Pennsylvania, who's not from Pennsylvania and doesn't seem to be doing anything to combat this pretty clever you know, sort of viral campaign that just says you're a carpetbagger from New Jersey 
and then we have the insanity in Arizona, which isn't settled yet, but is 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 pretty bad. On the other hand, in Washington State, you have Patty Murray, who was running for her twenty eighth term, um, up against a pretty strong Republican candidate in a state that is very very hard to poll because of the number of write in ballots because because of the the system. Um, Tiffany Smiley, she's good. She's strong. She's grassroots. She's, you know, done a lot of stuff. She's got a great story to tell. And in Colorado, where Michael Bennett <coughs> uh, is, you know, is is not in the best position, Republicans have a strong candidate in Colorado, too, in this guy, O'Day. We're not hearing much about them because the Washington press controls the coverage of this stuff. But let's see where we are in October when suddenly people get their eye on them. I mean, they're in the low, they, they are running competitive races now, relatively speaking. I mean, they're down, both of them, but, you know, and when there is a wave, those are exactly the kind of people who are brought in that nobody expects. You don't expect, you can game all this out but if Repub- but if Democrats are just depressed and they stay home or they don't send in their write-in ballot or whatever it is, you know, Maggie Hassan in New Hampshire, she has a she has a positive approval rating. On the other hand, you know, if Matt's right and Republicans aren't talking to pollsters, what you get is a universe of people where you say, well, Maggie Hassan's approval rating is, you know, she's like got a 10 percent positive approval rating. But they're not asking, but people who would who would rank her unfavorably aren't being asked in poll or aren't participating in the polls. So the approval rating and where they are, you know, electorally in a head-to-head matchup are all taking place in the same universe that is completely missing possibly hundreds of thousands of voters. So you got to be careful with those and this fact that the generic ballot undercounts. Uh, Republicans in general, and and the Democrats and the uh, Democratic partisans oddly might be more excited about talking to pollsters because they love talking to pollsters. I don't know. Anyway, it's interesting because w- w- what we have here is a an air boomlet. It's all air. Somebody announced an agreement on paper at a time when. We're in a recession. Inflation is growing, and uh, you know, I still and, haven't gotten Matt's Fed- answer on your chances of you think this this bill as as the deal okay, as yeah, it's outlined will will pass. Oh, as outlined, pass. Well, we don't know. Uh, it. We haven't read anything. It's a, I bet. It's a I draft. bet that cinema uh, might make some demands that whittle, whittle it down further. I think. I think what, from a policy standpoint, what the Democrats want most is some combination of green spending. And those Obamacare subsidies, that those Obamacare subsidies, which they've been kind of injecting into the system since the um, since the pandemic, uh, are very important to them. Um, and so, so we'll definitely know, get the spending, but maybe not the revenue. Exactly. That's, that's and right. so, just be another inflationary bill. And uh, with you know, with the the idea that passing this bill is going to lead to the most radical reduction in emissions. 20 years, you know, 15 years from now. It's just ludicrous. It, um, so it, it's, it, it, will be a, it will be a win for Biden, uh, but I don't think it will change the, um, 
the overall trajectory of his presidency, which is downward. What do you think? You you were asking you were asking Matt. What do you think? I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, I've so many frameworks have come and gone that I don't think this is a sure thing. Um, <clears throat> even if you know, even if the climate change provisions survive, I, well, look, we're up against the August recess, and they really want to pass this quickly, so there's not a lot of eyes on it, so that we probably so we don't get around to a narrative about how we're this how is this supposed to address the primary issue that people care about and is driving votes, which is inflation, rising costs and reduced economic growth. Um, I think that's a terrible narrative to have to navigate. So the faster we get this done, the better, but they, everybody leaves on August 8th and those that we're all going to come back in August to do this. I don't believe that. So happens in a week, but if it doesn't happen in a week, I don't think it happens at all. At least it's a high likelihood. It doesn't happen at all. They're going to come back I, in September and do this in the middle of the midterms. I mean, maybe they will just because they're panicking. Look, there's probably a 70 30 chance that it passes now, but it gets worse as every day goes by. They, this is the same story with Build Back Better. Every day they didn't pass Build Back Better, it gets harder the next day. It's too much to hope for that I'm not going to hope that it collapses because it's too much. We have gotten present. We have gotten neg in nihilistic gift giving. We have gotten present after present over the last year. We got the collapse of build back better. We got, I mean, I, I just over and over and over again, we have seen Democrats shoot themselves in the foot, miss call inflation, transitory, whatever it is. They just, hand us present after present. If this were to collapse next week, I mean, you know, it, it, it's just, like I say, I mean, I just, I, I, you can't, I, I will not hope. I don't even want it. It's like, it's like gorging yourself, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's too much. Yeah, we need to pace ourselves. Like, yeah. I, I just, the internal contradictions of this very peculiar democratic majority that shouldn't in the Senate in particular shouldn't actually exist. The very peculiar story and, and this house majority of four where you then have progressives who have no actual interest in passing legislation, threatening to blow things up. And then Joe Manchin and, and, and cinema sort of like playing whatever games they're playing and all of that. Um, you know, this, 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 this Jerry rigged, thing um is politically very entertaining and i just think like the lucy football aspect of mansion agreeing to this bill only to have it fall apart you know well, you mentioned a scenario that is very tempting politically which is that all of a sudden joe mansion gets to be the good guy for a news cycle which he hasn't had that in quite some time so he must be enjoying himself and it does sort of put the onus on cinema now who knows what kind of intestinal fortitude she has because she hasn't really had to be too out front as the single obstacle before democratic ambitions but now she is and how does she respond to that how does joe manchin respond to that and if the two of them end if if she ends up tanking it takes the heat off of him that could be a tantalizing prospect from his perspective 
like I say, just I would just recommend to to our to our listeners and people who you know like for, for legitimate, not just you know oh Democrats, you know this is a terrible bill. Hundreds of billions of dollars in 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 government subsidies for feckless companies peddling nonsense solutions you know like a you know lots of wind turbines and then you know energy lines that will make the energy captured by wind turbines that you can you know carry that energy over thousands of miles you know so let's spend you know a hundred billion dollars on something that will create one percent of the you know energy needed in the united states if you're lucky it's one percent you know like that and everything else on top of chips by the way which is god awful policy you know i mean uh so we have legitimate reasons to wish that everything collapse here not just you know political reasons but in the end you know if 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 build if the carcass of build back better if it turns out it wasn't a carcass but it was just sort of like in a medically induced coma and it somehow been shuttered back to life and it's this shadow of its former self but in the end, it'll cost three hundred billion instead of a trillion five or two point two trillion or three point five trillion. I would say, in general, we got off lucky. That that's 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 where it ended up. If that's if that's where it is in terms of policy, like we could really have been in a position where the government would have been spending two trillion dollars on Build Back Better if it weren't for Mansion. If Mansion had somehow, if something had happened, they blackmailed him, you know, with photos of him, you know, like Senator Geary. I don't know, whatever. I mean, if they'd done something where they could have nailed Mansion and forced it to happen, God knows where we would be economically now. I mean, just even think of it. We're at, we're at, we're at, you know, we're at, we're pretty much a double digit inflation now. Imagine build back better on top of that. But so they're billing. They're billing it as so stupid. They're billing it as a climate change bill. This is Chuck and Schumer an today. Inflation Take, reduction bill. No, it's, he says the Inflation Reduction <laughs> Act of 2022 will be the largest climate change package ever passed by Congress. Period. They don't see any political liability in that message. I, 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 I well, because as I say, they're looking at a universe of voter. They need to defibrillate to get them to the polls. They're not looking at, you know, independence or they, they need their people. They need people who voted for Biden. They need six out of the 10 people who voted for Biden to turn out. It's, it's so funny though, that you know, when Noah read the title of the bill the, or the headline of that story, you know, the idea that big bill and inflation reduction are logically connected is completely is completely wrong, and the overall idea here uh, that you know the Fed will take care of inflation through its little itty bitty, I mean you know big and comparatively rate increases, but still nowhere near the increases you would need to actually stop the inflation, and not quickly enough. But the Biden administration view is well, the Fed will take care of it, and so we can continue to spend, and you know we'll have some tax increases and those are uh deflationary but the actual but we're not going to tax individuals and we're not actually going to increase the uh the corporate tax rate in this bill either so that we're not going to have um actual tax increases so we're just going to continue to spend we're which means we're going to continue to inflate um 
and thus undermining their their political position even further. It, it just um, it makes very little sense. By the way, <clears throat> do you think there's a chance that Biden gets hit from the left over this? Not just Biden, but but uh, Schumer imagine The squad uh, is but, eerily silent. That's what I'm saying. Like like when the the squad's figuring out how to handle how to respond to the fact that in fact um, the 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 carried interest loophole is not closed. That that's a shell game. I they, don't. I mean, if, if if they don't get if they don't get a good class war, you know, chunk out of this, they're not going to be happy, and they'll say something. I I I think that the existential threat to the Democratic Party in November is so great that even the squad is having to pay a certain amount of attention to it. And the minute that the election results come in, if they are unfavorable to Democrats, then the circular firing squad just goes crazy. And that's when a progressive will challenge Biden. And that's when Biden may end up having to announce that he's not running for a second term. By the way, this is a, this is a, this is a, an important detail to, to add in. Um, we ain't seen nothing yet from the Fed necessarily. In other words, like Powell, you think, you know, we think 75 basis points is a lot. Go back and look at what Volcker did in 81. Uh, 500 basis points. There was a quarter in which he raised, they raised interest rates 5% in one fell swoop. I mean, if things go crazy, if we end up, if inflation keeps growing and we're, we're right now at 10% annualized or close to 10%, if we get up to 15% and Biden is not going to run for president for a second term if interest rates are closing in on 20%. I mean, Reagan couldn't have won <clears throat> in 82 with interest rates, you know, at, at 12 and a half percent. I mean, he wasn't running in 82, but everything got better by 84. Biden is, th this is, this is all going downhill. This is not going uphill. Inflation is worsening, not getting better. And then we have these bills that are, I think, going to make it worse, at least also intellectually or emotionally or whatever, make it worse, not just practically. Because, of course, the money, the spigot doesn't open that quickly. It's not like all that money comes out at once, right? So it's more like a, an atmospheric thing. And, I, you know, I mean, this, is the per, this, is the, this could be the tsunami that keeps on giving. So it hits the Democrats in November. They all say, you know, this is what happened when we didn't do what we were supposed to do, which is build back better and this and that and the other thing and this nonsense stuff, piddling climate change. They all fire on each other. Powell has to raise interest rates by 200 basis points in December because inflation's at 12 or 13 percent. I don't know, whatever. And then and then what? Then Biden's at 25 percent approval and he's going to have to not run again. I mean, that's another that's another scenario uh, that has to be taken into account. Another scenario that needs to be taken into account is an explanation of what uh, he calls the summer of shortages. And I'm talking about Scott Lincecum of Cato, who is the guest on Dan Senor's Call Me Back podcast this week. This is a fantastic conversation that explains in comprehensive terms just what is going on that has caused 
the nightmarish situation at airports with the cancellations of thousands of flights. What happened with baby formula? Why we're heading in this direction in which we have government interference in the economy causing disruptions and distortions that are making the daily lives of Americans worse due to regulations and outdated laws and outmoded ways of being. And that's, that's, I, I just, I commend this to you so much. It's so revealing, particularly at the end when Dan and Scott talk about onshoring this absolutely horrific idea about, you know, uh, forcing companies to have a certain amount of their um, their business in the United States. This is not just sort of like the chips thing, but just in general, um, and why this is a bad idea and how, for example, if we change some of our regulatory rules about how airlines work, uh, discount European carriers could come into the United States, pick up the slack, bring about some competition in secondary routes, and mean that like when I'm in Madison, Wisconsin, and there my my flight is canceled, and there's no other flight to take place. EasyJet out of Britain could be in that airport flying to New York, <clears throat> providing more aircraft. Um, but they're not allowed because of the way our regulations work. And of course, then there's the whole baby formula story. So that's what you hear from Dan Sinor and his Call Me Back podcast, one of the best podcasts out there with Scott Lincecum this week. Go listen today and if you're listening today if you're going to listen today you got to also go to amazon or barnes and noble and buy david bonson's there's no free lunch 250 economic tools you heard me earlier in the show talk about david's um <coughs> revelatory finding that in fact <coughs> this um carried interest provision is uh, is a whole lot of nonsense that's the kind of clear-eyed uh, analysis you can get from him and this book, which provides 250 uh, individual uh, pages on how the economy topics on how the economy works, how it functions, where the ideas come from, how we learned how uh, economics works uh, from theologians, philosophers, economists, great thinkers. It's, uh, it's the best primer on these topics you will ever find. That's David Bonson's There's No Free Lunch, 250 Comic Truths. Get it today. And finally, um, let's talk about ClickUp. ClickUp began with the premise that productivity was broken and they are promising to get you back a day a week, a day a week of your time with enhanced productivity through ClickUp, which started because the people there began to notice there were too many tools to keep track of, too many things in entirely separate ecosystems. There had to be a more productive way to get through the daily hustle, and ClickUp is the one tool to house all your tasks, projects, docs, goals, spreadsheets, and more. Built for teams from 1 to 1,000, it's packed with features and customization options that no other productivity tool has, so you can work the way you work best, whether you're in product management, engineering, sales, marketing, or HR. ClickUp has easy-to-use solutions that create a more efficient work environment. So join the more than 800,000 highly productive teams using ClickUp today. Use code COMMENTARY to get 15% off ClickUp's massive unlimited plan for a year, meaning you can start reclaiming your time for under $5 a month. Sign up today at ClickUp.com and use code COMMENTARY. Hurry, this offer ends soon. Matt, you have a piece today, this morning, uh, at the Washington Free Beacon uh, with the... Um, very plangent title, Pelosi must go. 
but you don't mean that Pelosi needs Nancy Pelosi needs to resign from the House of uh, Representatives and stop being speaker and go back to her insider trading husband and their multi-zillion dollar mansion in Northern California. You mean something else? Well, I mean, maybe it's a both and question instead of an either or question, John. But yeah, the the column is uh, Pelosi must go to Taiwan. And uh, we've been in the middle of this kind of developing international incident over the past week uh, where um, Pelosi had initially uh, scheduled a trip to Taiwan in April. Uh, that trip was canceled because she uh, tested positive for COVID. And then just in recent weeks, um, the Financial Times reported that uh, the trip was back on, that she would be the second speaker since Newt Gingrich in 1997 to visit Taiwan. Um, I believe the CODEL leaves today, actually, um, and it's still up in the air whether she will visit. Um, the Chinese government, the uh, Communist uh, Party of China, uh, is extremely uh, angry at this, uh, very belligerent about it, threatening consequences. Some of their uh, kind of propagandists um, who aren't directly linked to the government are threatening Pelosi directly. Um, and the Biden administration, too, has kind of been wavering. Um, uh, Biden himself saying, well, you know, the military doesn't think she should go and um, we'll leave it up to her. And um, uh, I'm, I make the case in my column that uh, Pelosi has to go now um, uh, to, to cancel the trip, to not go to Taiwan now would be to capitulate um, uh, to Chinese bullying and threats. It would set a dangerous precedent. And so um, I'm in the weird position of actually supporting Nancy Pelosi uh, for once. Abe, where are you? Where are you on this? Oh, I think she absolutely has to go. I agree. It would be an outrage um, if if you know American leaders and politicians took their orders from Beijing on on matters such as this. And I don't think there's any question. I I, I totally agree. I mean, I think you have to add in the the nature of the language that the Chinese are using about this now. In other words, maybe you could have made an argument a month ago that this was unwise at this particular moment, blah, blah, blah. So maybe if they could figure out a way for her to quietly back off, maybe meet, you know, the Taiwanese foreign minister in Singapore, what, however you want to slice it, like some some face saving that was very quiet and, 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 and under the, you know, under the radar. But um, uh, the Chinese have literally said that she is playing with fire and uh, a Communist Party linked publication has basically or like a leader of a Chinese uh, Communist Party publication has literally called for action to be taken against her she should be detained uh if she does this in some fashion or other um if you know the person who is um third in the line of succession to the presidency of the united states is being openly threatened by the prc then um she has to go and now we should talk about how biden is acting because you're pretty i mean it's terrible biden's like oh i'm gonna call speak on the phone with g for two oh 
It's so great. He's so back into the game that he's on the phone with Xi for two hours. Can you believe it? A marathon phone call. They've worked out so well for him in the past. These phone calls with dictators, they really, there is such a track record of success. I think that he did speak out uh, and made that comment about, you know, um, oh, Pelosi hasn't decided yet and the military doesn't think she should go because he didn't want to interrupt that planned phone call, which was held yesterday uh, with Xi Jinping. I what It's interesting to read the two um, government disclosed descriptions of that phone call. Uh, it seems to be rather tense that it's not not clear whether Pelosi came up uh, directly, but the line that she has been using now in previous conversations with Biden is that, you know, those who play with fire get burned. And what he's referring there to there, um, it's not necessarily Pelosi visiting Taiwan. It is um, kind of a unilateral decision on either the part of Taiwan or the United States to revise uh, Taiwan's uh relationship with China, that is to basically assert or to declare a Taiwanese independence from China. But I don't think we're there yet. All we're here, all we're, we are discussing right now is the planned travel of a U, senior U.S. official to, a, to a, a country where other U.S. senior officials have been going. And to, to simply say, oh, we're not going to go because uh, China doesn't want us to, or it's not the right time. But when is the right time? I mean, if you say you're not going to go now, then the next time you think you're going to go or say you're going to go, China will say that you can't go. <laughs> so there is, there is no optimal time. You simply have to, once you make the decision, go with it and accept the consequences. Particularly in light of the chips vote. Um, <clears throat> where do U.S. tech companies get their semiconductor chips? 90% of them come from Taiwan. A congressional effort to diversify that uh, and reduce that reliance sends a lot of signals to the Pacific. Uh, a congressional effort to reinforce support for Taiwanese sovereignty, if not independence, uh, is certainly important. We, we saw Joe Biden say yesterday that the United States does not support Taiwanese independence. Now, whatever you think of the one China policy, some say it's outlived its usefulness. I tend to agree. Joe Biden isn't going to be the president to upend that longstanding U.S. policy. But Congress has just said, look, we can't rely on Taiwan for obvious reasons, not just because of the, the pandemic-related shortages and production shortages, but because of the geostrategic threat to Taiwanese independence. Congress has no choice but to, but to reaffirm its support for Taiwan, particularly given the fact that we're shoring up our own, our own logistical uh, flanks. Well, uh, I think... Uh... Basically, that uh, what you don't want is a repeat of <clears throat> 1975, I guess, 1974, 1975, when Alexander Solzhenitsyn was expelled from the Soviet Union, came to the United States. He was the you know greatest man of the age, the Nobel uh, Prize winner, uh, the human figure that represented defiance against totalitarianism more than any other and gerald ford under the pretty bad guidance of henry kissinger refused to invite him to the white house um that kind of blurring because they had other more important business to take care of and that kind of approach that kind of idea that you can transact business 
uh, with totalitarians when they behave in the most thuggish and totalitarian of manners uh, suggests that the other business that you're going to conduct with them, you will conduct badly. You are not taking their measure. You are not accepting the evidence of your eyes about who they are, what they want to do, how they behave. Uh, you are rather trying to read them in a way that is conducive to your priors and what you want to get out of the relationship. And we have to deal with China as it is. China is a country that has no impunity about threatening a leading figure in the U.S. government. That's that that's what just that's what just happened. And therefore, they need to be treated like a country that threatens a, a leading figure in the U.S. government and not as some kind of a friendly rival or a even a, even a, even an antagonist, but somebody with whom we can do. Obviously, we need to do business with China or businesses need to do business with China. I don't know what our government, what the business that our government has to do with China is or might be. We need to have open lines of communication. We need to make sure that we don't have, you know, unnecessary provocations, you know, that lead to belligerences that don't don't have to happen. But we we are not in a position where we need to pretend that China is anything other than an international barbaric goon. And to the extent that 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 we have an entire diplomatic and military establishment that continues to close its eyes to that fact is not a defense of Biden's conduct, just in a different way, stripping and chipping away at the, you know, the, the, the moral suasion possibilities of the, of the bully pulpit. Anyway, with that, Matt Connetti, author of The Right, now available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and available forever probably at these, uh, these fine locations, but get it now. Uh, thanks for joining us, and uh, uh, I'm sure you'll be back soon. And uh, anybody got any plans for the weekend? Nah? Abe just shrugged. Nothing exciting. Nothing. Baseball. Baseball. You're going to a Nats game or you're going my, to a league my, game? My friends uh, actually won a raffle where they have the uh, local Little League facility to themselves uh, and to their friends all, all uh, afternoon tomorrow. So we'll be headed over there with my baseball crazed children and uh, wow. sweating, it, sweating it out. I hope there will be some adult beverages there to to make the time uh, go a little bit faster, but should be fun. That sounds kind of amazing. There's nothing better than, than a, than a, than a little American dream. The American dream lives, John. We can't give up hope. So still, you're talking about, you're talking about tofu dogs. (laughs) No, 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 we will. Right. Yeah. Uh, Kale shakes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Vegan baseball. No. Okay, well, I'm just going to be cleaning our apartment, so that's 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 really thrilling. Anyway, uh, uh, thanks for listening this week. We'll be back next week for Abe and Noah and the Absent Christine. I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the camel burning.